Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the election campaign takes on an edgier tone. The differences between Justin Trudeau and myself are stark. I grew up in the suburbs. My neighbours were auto workers. My dad worked for General Motors. When Mr. Trudeau was partying, and we've all seen the photos, I was doing search and rescue missions in the military. Every Canadian has met a Justin Trudeau in their lives. Federal leaders condemn anti-vaccination protests outside hospitals. It is not okay that across the country, hospitals are having to put up barricades today to manage the mobs coming their way. It's not okay any day to know that a nurse going into a late shift, crossing a parking lot, might be afraid that there could be someone there to spit on her or shout obscenities at her. And with less than a week to go, what is the ballot question? Normally, if this was not a pandemic time, Justin Trudeau would be the candidate of stability and Aaron O'Toole would be the candidate of change. Instead, you've seen both of them trying to portray themselves. Justin Trudeau talks about big change that has to happen post-pandemic. And Aaron O'Toole is talking about secure, safe, stable Canada. It's Tuesday, September 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top stories from the campaign this morning. We're joined by... Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. We have less than a week to go now until Election Day. In fact, a week from today, fingers crossed, we'll have the results from the election, uh, if all goes well. Um, What's your sense of, of the turn that this campaign has taken in the last couple of days, where we see the leaders becoming a little edgier, going on the attack a little bit more? What does that suggest to you about where we stand in this election? It's interesting. I, I did think this is the last time you and I are going to speak. Well, um, on in this format. Yeah. Uh, next uh, next time we'll be talking about what happened rather than what's going to happen. I see what was going on yesterday as a little bit of the to be continued from last week's horrible debate. Um, mm. All the all the the ways in which they had wanted to have a confrontation with each other and to to present themselves in the debate, we're seeing them coming out this week. Uh, and it, it's all an attempt to frame the ballot question. Uh, so uh, Justin Trudeau wants this to be uh, portrayed as a stark choice between he and Aaron O'Toole on who has the best... Uh, uh, plan for post-pandemic, or who can you trust post-pandemic? Right. Erin uh, uh, O'Toole is doing much the same thing too, um, and Jagmeet Singh as well. They, I, the tone change was impossible to miss. It was um, the, the attack from O'Toole on on Trudeau was very, very personal, and and about Trudeau as a person, and Trudeau in his media encounter was trying to say that um, I'm contrasting policy-wise with Aaron O'Toole, but I'm not saying, he said, I, I'm not saying he doesn't love his kids, which Aaron O'Toole never said about Trudeau, but he did say some, some he, he portrayed Trudeau's character as a privileged, the way he'd grown up, um, all of that stuff playing into uh, the, the, the harsh anger that you've seen exhibited in degrees against Trudeau. Uh, just as an aside, I, I wrote this um, for today's paper in the Toronto Star. Um, 
not to advertise my, but I've been really intrigued in the last couple of weeks about how we are, we we don't know yet whether we're having an, uh, an election about change or we're, whether we're having one about stability. And normally, if this was not a pandemic time, Justin Trudeau would be the candidate of stability and Aaron O'Toole would be the candidate of change. Instead, you've seen both of them trying to portray themselves. Justin Trudeau talks about big change that has to happen post-pandemic, and Aaron O'Toole is talking about secure, safe, stable Canada. So we've seen how this, even the leaders themselves, have not yet defined for Canadians what the ballot choice is. And, and usually we know whether we're, by now, whether we're having an election about change or whether we're having one about stay the course. And I think it is because the pandemic has, has screwed with our minds, mm. you know, and, and we don't know what change is and we don't know what stability is. Do we know what this election is about, ultimately? Have we? I really think that has become a fragmented discussion. Yeah. I think it's a huge... You're going to walk into the ballot box if you have not already. Uh, advanced polling ended yesterday. Uh, if you have not walked into the ballot box already, but and you're planning to go next week, it's choose your own adventure. It's uh, whatever story you want to tell yourself. Somebody speak to, you know, maybe smart political scientists will do. There may be a sense of the isolation that Canadians have felt, and that they all had their own pandemic experience as well too. So that that we continue to define an election in isolation as well. Yeah. And who do you think has the upper hand in this final week? Uh, there are polls that are showing the Liberals seem to be slightly on the rise. Uh, the Conservatives, uh, you know, if we talked about vote splitting at the beginning of this campaign, everybody would have assumed it would be about the NDP and the Liberals. But the Conservatives might have a vote splitting issue with the uh, People's Party of Canada. So how would you describe where we're where we're at right now? Really, really uh, in unpredictable waters is uh, the weaselly way of saying that. I, you know, that what minor advantages the Liberals seem to have is constantly compared against where they were expected to be at this time, um, but also compared to what the Conservative momentum is. And it is going to be such a local result. And Liberals have, by the way, always run one elections especially the last one, riding by riding, that that their their victory in 2019, I, I did a, a big piece on this right after they won, and they didn't win the national vote, they didn't even win the popular vote. They won riding by riding, place by place. The Conservatives are well aware of that, um, only too well aware of that, and this is why they're worried, I believe, about the People's Party of Canada, because, you know, votes drifting over that way just enough could it's it's the same thing you see happening on the left all the time is liberals saying in the last weeks of the campaign don't waste your vote on the ndp to keep the conservatives out of office you have to vote liberal and now you're seeing that phenomenon developing with the conservatives all their a lot of their ads and slogans and and social media stuff have been borrowed or lifted or adjusted from People's Party, mm-hmm. which is an interesting phenomenon too. So, what do you think is still at stake in the final week? Is is there a chance at a liberal majority? Is there a chance the Conservatives could win the most seats? Are we headed back to where we were before this election started, give or give or take a few seats? 
Can I take you to right to where I think you and I might be talking next Tuesday? Sure. I'm I'm really worried about the results and the governability of Canada after the twentieth. I I am finding the way this whole election has unrolled, the tone change in these last weeks. I am wondering what does a parliament look like that is a reflection of the mood and the fragmentation and the uh, the angriness that we have seen all over Canada, whether it's people throwing gravel at Trudeau or you know the the intense hatred between the leaders what how does that turn into a parliament a functioning parliament and that's that's where i find myself uh thinking right now the the election result is going to be interesting but if it's anything other than a majority and that looks remote for anyone then we have this mess of a campaign to turn into something that's supposed to govern canada and i don't really understand how we get there there's um the, the 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 rage and the upset and and the frustration in this country that's been unleashed by this election campaign, I think is no matter who wins on September twentieth, is going to be the first job of the prime minister. Yeah. Now let's take a moment to talk about the protests that happened outside hospitals uh, yesterday, and uh, there was a lot of condemnation of that uh, from across the political spectrum and across the country, uh, just the idea that healthcare workers uh, and and patients would have to endure this on their way into uh, medical centers was a real concern for a lot of people. The Liberals said that they would pass a law that would make it illegal to to block access to these buildings and to threaten healthcare workers. And a few people responded by pointing out there that's probably already covered under the law. So <laughs> might not be necessary. And uh, so but but what do you think that reflects? What's going on here? And and how did we arrive at this point? Is it is it connected to all the other demonstrations and unrest that we've seen during the campaign? Yeah, very much so. I think it it probably is. And it has a number of origins. I, I, I say without, uh, I don't think I get in trouble for saying I find it disgusting. You know, I absolutely disgusting. And I've seen uh, throughout the day interviews with healthcare workers, you know, who were being serenaded by neighborhood concerts and, and things at the beginning of the pandemic who are now afraid to wear their hospital scrubs on their way home in case they get attacked. This is, again, I think it is linked to what we were talking about before. It's just the, the, ugly, angry state of things as COVID weariness sets in and, and, and the idea of fourth waves or lockdowns, I think, is um, upsetting people. There has been, Jagmeet Singh yesterday approached the topic and then didn't actually fulfill the thought, but he did point out there is a precedent for, for legislating or, or somehow keeping these uh, people away from from health centers, and it, it's the rules around abortion clinics in Ontario, I know at least. Um, it's, uh, I'm not sure, I've seen the, the protesters as well being being held back, the ones who do those daily vigils outside abortion clinics are, are permanently held back. Um, I, I don't know that, like you point out, I'm not sure that we need a rule against the craziness of blocking a hospital, but... Um, I, I do think we need to take a serious look at, at where we are at, that this is happening. Yeah. 
Um, and, uh, you know, there's a couple of angles to it, including whether we would have been encountering this if there had not been an election called. I know some people have made that point. And um, and whether there there is a um, whether it's going to continue after the election and what form it's going to take, especially as events develop with the pandemic, if there if there are requirements for future lockdowns and, and so on. So there's oh, I see all kinds of, you know, uh, yeah. like I there there are a lot of people who don't. They're probably not listening to this podcast because if they are, they're kind of political junkies. But there are a lot of people in Canada right now, uh, staunch conservative supporters, who believe they're going to win next week because that's what the the big numbers look like. And if the Liberals win, it will be because we have a, a first-past-the-post system and a federation and um, a riding-by-riding victory. That's how you win elections. That may be too complicated for some people who might be really disappointed uh, after hearing for five weeks that conservatives are in the lead yeah. and and then finding out they didn't win. I don't think anybody's going to storm Parliament Hill. I just knocked wood saying that. But um, I do think you can you, you, you might see the anger and uh, and frustration build up among people. And I don't want to say it questioning the legitimacy of the election. But, you know, we're we're not far from a situation like that if it's really tight. All right. Well, there's still lots of time before we get there. Yeah, uh, we'll see what happens in the next few days, and we'll talk to you the morning after. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. When Mr. Trudeau was partying, and we've all seen the photos, I was doing search and rescue missions in the military. Every Canadian has met a Justin Trudeau in their lives. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson argues, we've reached the trash talk phase of the campaign. Iveson writes, Justin Trudeau has painted an apocalyptic vision of Canada under an Aaron O'Toole government and has patronized the New Democrats as harmless but unrealistic hippies. O'Toole has talked about Trudeau as a scandal-hit partygoer, obsessed with keeping power. We have reached the point in this campaign where the main contenders hurl increasingly preposterous insults at one another, like fading boxers. In the National Observer, Andrew Perez argues Justin Trudeau, Aaron O'Toole, and Jugmeet Singh are embracing left-wing populism. Perez writes, It has not only shaped the party's platforms, it has colored the partisan stump speeches of all three major party leaders in a manner never seen in the modern era. To their credit, Trudeau, O'Toole, and Singh all grasp this new reality. It looks increasingly likely that regardless of its configuration, the next federal government will implement an economic agenda that is the most progressive and populist in the modern era. In the Toronto Star, John Beebe considers how to prevent the rise of anti-democratic forces. He writes, It's troubling to see the rise of fringe groups taking their online vitriol to the streets with hate-filled protests that sound more like Trump rallies than the civil discourse that has been the hallmark of Canadian democracy. We dare not let that contagion spread and take hold here. If we are going to prevent the rise of anti-democratic forces, both government and the philanthropic sector will need to invest in our democracy and provide the critical resources to sustain and build on local efforts. Now here's what's coming up on the campaign trail today. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is in Richmond, British Columbia, where he'll make an announcement and speak with the media. 
Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will make an announcement and hold a news conference in Russell, Ontario. He will also hold virtual telephone town halls with Atlantic Canada and Quebec residents. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is in Ontario, where he will speak with the media in Toronto before attending campaign events in Windsor. Green Party leader Annami Paul will host a news conference with Atlantic Canada Green Party candidates in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will speak at news conferences in Cap-au-Meule and Caraquet, Quebec, before attending an all-candidates debate. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, September 14th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for coverage of the federal election campaign. And join me for Have Your Say every weekday on CPAC at 12 Eastern Time. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.